so excited about what God is saying to us as a church at the moment and what God has been saying to us through this series of teaching around the prophet Elisha. And we're talking about how in a changing world where, as Philippa prayed, you know, we've had extraordinary temperatures in unprecedented, uh, unprecedented viruses, unprecedented everything. The world is rocking. How we need the wisdom of God and the examples of people like Elisha who moved in power and faith despite what seemed like poverty, nothing all around him. So I'm just going to start by saying again some words of the Lord's Prayer. Because I find at the end of the Lord's Prayer, I feel so much better having said the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. I love that. I mean, we could say it together now if you like. The kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours. And I think, hallelujah, God's got this. That's what those words say to me. God is in charge. He's on his throne. He is not stressed. The kingdom is his. The power is his. And the glory is his. And because we need to hear that in a changing time, um, there's evidence of this in our reading and where this story has taken us to so far. So I'm going to kind of frame the talk around the kingdom, the power, and then a tiny bit about the glory at the end. So the kingdom, I wonder sometimes whether what's right in front of you is the thing that dictates to you your interpretation, your understanding of what God is doing right now and what's happening in the world. Just a quick anecdote of how we tend to just focus and zoom in all the time. My colleague, one of my colleagues at BBC Radio Nottingham, she did a quiz this week. She does it every day, actually, and it's called Ask Alexa. And you have to guess what the top five searches are when you type in a certain phrase. Uh, so this week it was, is space, and then the listeners think of what people want Alexa to tell them, the fourth most popular search for phrase or thing. Is space real? Is space real? I mean, we are in space right now. We're on a rock hanging in space, aren't we? But, but genuinely, people are so kind of zoomed in and, and so close up to what, what feels like is reality around them. Some of them are doubting that because space is all the way over there, it might not be real. So what we're going to do through this, through celebrating God's kingdom, his rule, is we're going to zoom out and have a little look at the big picture. And I need to recap to explain this reading for us today, and then we'll dive into it. So, the story, a brief story of God's people and the Old Testament. So you know about Adam and Eve, um, and then God wanted to be close to them, but then they did stuff wrong and they were far apart. People generally filled the earth, and then God decided he wanted to get close to them, he wanted to reveal himself to them. So he chose Abraham and said to Abraham, through you, I will bless the world. You are going to be my holy people. I'm going to bless the world. So he had loads of kids and descendants, and it was all going great. Uh, Moses then comes along and gives the people the law. So God says to the people, if you obey my laws and worship me as God alone, then I will bless you. So we've got this relationship. God is close to a people. And the plan is to bless the whole world. 
then we get fast-forwarded to Samuel, one of the leaders of the people. And um, the people say to Samuel, do you know, we're fed up of not having a king because all the other nations have got a king. We want a king. So God says, well, actually, I think you'll find that kings, well, they like power and they like being on the throne a bit too much and things go wrong. No, we really want a king. Okay, you can have a king. So the kings, the line of kings started. And as we read in scripture, the kings, sure enough, uh, often went astray. And often the people were not obeying the law and they were not worshipping Yahweh as the only God. So God's plan to, to reveal himself through these people was going off track. So we then get to Elijah. Elijah is the one that uh, anoints Elisha. So there's a bit of a partnership here. And God chooses to speak to Elijah to bring back the people because in Elijah's time, King Ahab was on the throne and he was just the worst of the worst. He was married to Jezebel. He was even worse than Ahab because she was not from the people of Israel and she worshipped the gods of Baal. Are you still with me? We're getting there. And then... <laughs> Jezebel convinced King Ahab to make it law that people do not worship Yahweh. Instead, they're going to worship Baal. And with their rule came killing of uh, the Jews, killing of uh, the prophets, uh, killing of children, sacrificing in the temple, taking over the temple, uh, and, and giving it over to the worshipping of idols. It was horrific. Things had gone off track. So God has to act. Because he's made a promise to Abraham. He will fulfill his word. So he says to Elijah, raise up Elisha and go and anoint Jehu to be king. We're going to get rid of this rotten lot. Hopefully my blipper's going to work tonight. Ha-ha! The thing is, though, Elijah is told this by God. But Elijah's in a really low place. For some reason, after this showdown on Mount Carmel, where the fire comes down and sets fire to the wood and the prophets of Baal are defeated and they get killed, for some reason, Elijah's still really discouraged. And you remember that bit where he just says to God, oh, it's all going wrong. I've told people what you said, but they're still killing us. What is the point? Just kill me now. And that is when God says, well, actually, I've got a plan. Go and anoint Elisha. Go and anoint Jehu. Time goes by. Ten or eleven years goes by. And then we get to today's passage. Finally, Jehu is anointed as king. So Elisha, Je uh, Elijah did that bit. But the bit with, with uh, Jehu, it takes time. It takes time. And that's why Elijah's like, oh, this is just a nightmare. What's going on, Lord? What is happening in this? What is this anointing business about? This is pivotal. So I'll just explain this and then we'll carry on. How do you get to be a king? How do you get to be a queen? You're born, aren't you? You're born into a royal family. But God wanted to fulfill his promises. He wanted to bring the people back on track. That meant getting rid of Ahab, getting rid of Ahab's grandson by now. So he says to Jehu, you are going to be king 
And in the reading, you have got to go and kill them all. And there's some graphic stuff about, about Jezebel and dogs licking up her blood. So this is what God wants to do. And Jehu, spoiler alert, does go and do that. So with God's kingdom, I just wonder whether we find ourselves very often a bit like Elijah. Elijah never got to see Jehu anointed. Elijah died. Well, no, he didn't. He was taken up to heaven. Schoolgirl error. But Elijah never got to see uh, Jehu anointed as king. And he thought, oh, this is, this is just a disaster. When we look at Elijah's life, we do not think, well, that was rubbish, do we? We can see that God had spoken a word and God was going to fulfill it. God um, had his rescue plan and Elijah's role was one piece of it. Elijah's looking at his life really close up and all depressed. But God sees that Elijah is a beautiful piece of his bigger jigsaw. And that's really, really important because I know I struggle with this for myself. I know that I am at the center of the world. I mean, I am. I'm at the center of my world, and I'm living, you know, this is reality, and it, it is, it's all revolving around me. When I'm trying to make sense of where God is in stuff, I'm doing it based on what I see through my eyes in my life. And I think, well, God will give me an amazing timeline, and his purposes are going to be worked out from the moment I'm born to the moment I die. Beautiful plan. It will make sense. In the end, that's my life story. Sometimes God will do amazing things. Of course he will. But actually, that's a very zoomed in way of trying to interpret the purposes of God and what reality actually is. In this story, we see, as with so many others, that God has a bigger purpose. God has a big picture that he is drawing. And we are just a tiny piece of it. But I find that quite encouraging too. There is something much bigger going on and more meaningful than the things that I am doing with my life. And God will give me things to do, but there is this mission and there is this trajectory that we are all on, which means it's not about me, it's about we, which is a lovely thing. We need each other. We need each other to make sense of our lives and our faith and God and being a follower of Jesus. It's we, it's not me. And then... This need um, to see God's word fulfilled. We are Christians and we have the bonus now of seeing what God meant when he said to Abraham, I am going to bless the world through you. How did he do that? Through the person of Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> you know this. You know this. Through the people of Israel, Jesus was born. And we read... This is the big picture. This is the big picture. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. He is reconciling everything to himself. Jesus has come. Jesus has died. He's made peace on the cross. And now we are being reconciled. And one day we will be fully reconciled with Jesus in heaven. I can't wait. We know that's God's plan and God's purpose. 
And if that's not enough, as church, Jesus comes in with some more encouragement for us. Matthew 16, do you remember that time where he asks Peter, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Peter says, yes, uh, sorry, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That's a promise. That word is being fulfilled. The gates of hell will not overcome it. God is building his church. God's got this. So that's his kingdom. God is on the throne. He hasn't fallen asleep. He isn't stressing about everything. He's king. Let's talk about power. And a couple of ways that God shows power in this story. Firstly and briefly, God shows his power through bringing justice. This is a really gritty bit. You are to destroy that house of Ahab, your master, the really bad king. And I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. The whole house of Ahab will perish. And as for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. That's tough stuff. It's not a PG Disney film. Why does God say this? He has seen. He has seen what has happened to the people. He has seen the killings. He has seen the injustice. And he cares about that. And it's really important that we hear that God is a God of justice. Because we can be raging inside and thinking, why has this happened? Why has that happened? Why are they getting away with it? And that can consume a lot of our energy. We have to know and believe that God is just and God does care. So many of our brothers and sisters at St. Nick's have come from nations where there's been all kinds of things going on. And it's still going on. And they carry it with them. God is just. And he will fulfill his purpose and his promise. And there will be justice. We have to zoom out though sometimes, don't we? Because we don't always see it. But we have to believe it will happen. However, it, whatever form it takes. The second way we see God's power at work is through us. Now, I would love a little bit more of the Mount Carmel, fire from heaven, ways that God shows his power. I would, you know, if you're having trouble at work, God smites my boss. And I did have to point out this morning, I did not mean Steve. Um, speaking hypothetically, you know, why doesn't God just break in with amazing power and fire? The story of the Bible says, actually, he chooses to do it. He chooses to show his power very often through his obedient people. So in this story, firstly, you've got Elijah being obedient and anointing Elisha. Then you've got Elisha commissioning uh, the anointing of Jehu. Then you've got Jehu saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to go and do this thing. And he does go and kill uh, King Ahab and another king with arrows. And he kills Jezebel by getting someone to throw her out the window. It's through us that often justice will come. And it's through us that God will want to uh, demonstrate his power. And I find that exciting because we get to play 
in the way God brings in his kingdom and extends his rule and builds his church. And sometimes that happens through uh, our acts of uh, practical obedience, like loving people, uh, serving people, clothing people, standing up for injustice. But other times, there are more spiritual missions he gives to us. And in just a few minutes that I've got left, I want to just take us down this uh, route a little bit because it's in the reading, I believe. I want to talk about how we, as God's church, have the mandate to change the spiritual atmosphere, not just over ourselves, but over our cities, maybe even over our nation. What do I mean here? In our passage, it said, As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. God specifies Jezreel. Now, why was that? Why has it got to be Jezreel where Jezebel dies? Jezreel was pretty much the HQ of this corrupt and evil empire. It was where they were storing the chariots, it's where the soldiers were, it's where the horses were kept, and it's from this place that Jezebel would send them out to commit hideous acts of evil. And I think that God saw this injustice and saw this entry point for, uh, for all this darkness, and he wanted Jehu to go and root out this foothold that, that the darkness had got. Walter Brueggemann uh, is an Old Testament scholar, and he calls Jezreel a place with a memory. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking, it's a, it's a place that has become a stronghold of the devil. And I think strongholds, spiritual strongholds build up when there is an active agreement with the enemy rather than with God. It's when we give permission by agreeing with the purposes that are completely opposed to God that a spiritual kind of heaviness builds up in that area and it can hold back the normal flow of life uh, and human flourishing. But the good news is, the opposite of that can happen as well, which I'll come on to in a second. What God does is in taking out Jezebel, he's looking at where the seat of this stronghold is, and he's turning it around, and he's bringing justice, and he's bringing the things of the kingdom. So if Jezreel has a memory... I wonder what Nottingham, what our memory is. What's the memory of Nottingham? Is there a stronghold in Nottingham? Well, none of this, what I'm about to uh, suggest to you, is biblical, like it's not written down. I haven't heard it directly from God. But I've really enjoyed doing some research. And I'm going to offer this to you and see what you make of it. So Nottingham, it has such a long history of poverty and exploitation. It's a manufacturing city, you know, about all the framework knitters, the, uh, the people that would sit and make lace and they would make textiles, but they were living in utterly, utterly squalid conditions. And this has gone on and gone on and gone on. There was a commission uh, in 1844 uh, which surveyed the nation 
and Nottingham was given special mention. This is what was written in this, uh, this report. Some parts of Nottingham are so very bad as hardly to be surpassed in misery by anything to be found within the entire range of our manufacturing cities. The condition of working people with respect to their life, occupation, dwelling, diet, clothing, bedding and fuel offered a spectacle of the most lamentable description. In St Anne's, the mean age of death was 11. They had lots of children, so some survived. But that's astonishing. Across Nottingham, it was 22. The next lowest mean age of death in any English city or town was 27. So Nottingham, right at the bottom. And today, through my work as a journalist, sadly, we see that year after year, Nottingham does tend to bump along the bottom of league tables for things like educational attainment. Um, you know, it, it's top of the table for poverty. Um, household income is low, among the lowest. And I know partly that's because of the way we measure uh, the city of Nottingham. It's like quite a tight ring around the middle bit. So the affluent areas like West, West Bridgeford don't get counted in. But nevertheless, we have uh, decades of struggle. Aspley has been the European capital of teenage pregnancy for many, many years until recently. Nottingham has problems. Um, we look at the Broadmarsh. I mean, is that ever, ever going to get done? And uh, I can't count the number of times I've reported on, oh, money's coming in, the Broadmarsh is going to get built. Oh, no, it hasn't. Oh, there's another investor come along. Oh, and now they've pulled out. And now the city council's failed to get um, its funding bid passed for the money to demolish and rebuild. So again, you know, there's, what's going on here? What is going on? But good news, just as repeated acts of evil draw a spiritual darkness, so can acts of worship and praise and declaration uh, bring the spiritual weight of God's kingdom. And I believe that um, we can sow in to a kind of spiritual legacy that has been building. We can uh, stand on the shoulders of giants that have gone before us. And God sometimes um, creates through his people these thin places where heaven touches earth. And so I've been also doing some research about the Christian heritage of Nottingham. And I found some really interesting things. I have found um, that there's been a lot going on around here, and I mean kind of around here. So let me tell you about uh, a man called, no, wait, before that, I've got a reading for you. <laughs> Matthew 16, so just to carry on with that bit about, about Jesus uh, saying, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind uh, on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So with our, um, with our acts of obedience, we can loose prosperity. We can participate in God's plan to bring his rule and his reign. By agreeing with the purposes of God, he commissions us to step up and bring in his kingdom. So these deep spiritual wells that I think we're standing very near to, 
you may know about this, but just where are we, my geography? Just sort of back there, behind us, the corner of the Market Square and where the Broadmarsh uh, begins, there was, uh, in the 13th century, built a Carmelite monastery. So for 300 years, just back there, there were monks praying and worshipping day and night, day and night for 300 years. I love that. And there were also Carmelite monks, so their order was founded on Mount Carmel, um, where this showdown happened with the prophets. So that's been going on. Sadly, that got knocked down when Henry VIII got to the throne and it all went a bit wrong. Um, then we've got a man called George Fox. Now, he was living in the 17th century. He was a man full of the Holy Spirit. At the time, it was very much, you know, everyone had to go to church and they had to worship in a certain way. Um, the way the Church of England told you to worship was George Fox had this incredible encounter with the Holy Spirit. And um, he said rubbish to that. Uh, and he refused to call church buildings churches because he said, no, the church is the people. So he called churches steeple houses instead um, and got around it that way. Anyway, he came to Nottingham and uh, he went to St. Mary's in the lace market and he was so appalled by the preaching there. He got up and he hackled. Uh, he said that the preacher was a lump of lead and he got taken off to prison. And in prison overnight, he met the prison sort of keeper, uh, Mr. John Reckless, and he became converted. And John Reckless opened up his house, which is there on Spaniel Row, opened up his house, and they had spirit-filled kind of revival meetings uh, week after week for 29 years, just over there. So that's exciting. Then there's this chap called William Carey. If you're a Baptist, you'll have heard of William Carey, but um, you might not be. Uh, now, William Carey was another amazing, spirit-filled warrior for Christ, and his passion was to spread the gospel beyond, uh, you know, the cozy pews that people were sitting in. And he came to Nottingham, he um, booked a room at a the uh, Angel Inn on the Market Square while he had some sort of meeting place built, and he uh, preached this really famous sermon. Uh, it was famous because it went on to change uh, the world. It went on to form the Baptist Missionary Society where people left this country and shared the gospel overseas. And that meeting happened, I think, Mark tells me, uh, it was over there because there's a plaque. There was a plaque on the underpass that existed under Maid Marian Way to say this was where that sermon happened. And what is really interesting and exciting is the passage he preached on. It just happened to be Isaiah 54, verses 2 and 3, which is the verses that Steve felt God give him two years ago for our church, um, which has propelled us to extend, enlarge the place of our tent. Don't hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. God says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And these people were pushing in and pressing in. And just finally, I haven't got a slide for this, but there's another guy, Samuel Fox, who I've just discovered. Um, he, no relative to George Fox, 
lived on Houndsgate, just a couple of streets away from us here. Uh, he was so uh, moved by all the poverty and suffering in Nottingham, he started to respond by teaching people. He saw that they were just not educated. They needed to learn to read and to write. So he set up his own English school, and um, that happened a stone's throw away. And again, he was a passionate Christian, and God changed the city through the work of Samuel Fox. So here we are. Well, there's a quick map. Just a few of the things around St. Nick's, which is the pin there. It's all around us. So here we are. A place where God has brought down strongholds. God has established his stronghold. God has brought in his kingdom, his power. And as far as his glory is concerned, well, in moving away from what's really in front of us and zooming out and seeing that God is on the throne, God releases his power, he does it through us. We can just have peace to know that this is all for the glory of God. That's the meaning of it really, isn't it? It's to the glory of God. He's got this. And we need to hear that, don't we? We need to be reminded of that. So let's pray. Lord, I'm so excited about how you are moving and about how you um, are releasing waves of your spirit and how we can pick up this baton and run again. Lord, help us to lift our eyes to you. You are on the throne. You are king. You are a powerful God. Help us to receive the peace that comes from knowing that. And the passion to rise up and be people, a people of power. Come, Holy Spirit.